All right, welcome to uh, Inappropriate Earl. It's a solo uh, episode today. To be honest with you, uh, I have uh, problems, I guess you'd say, getting uh, people to come over during a pandemic. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, we're 300 episodes in. I've never done an episode where I talk about one of the few non-comedy things I do, which was for almost 20 years, collect hockey jerseys. It's kind of a uh, strange hobby to get into when you're from Los Angeles. I'm actually born and raised in Los Angeles, so I probably should start off uh, on why I like hockey in the first place. And, uh, you know, in Los Angeles in the 70s and the 80s, uh, early 80s, at least until Wayne Gretzky came along, the Kings were never really that popular. Um, you know, they were rarely on TV. Uh, local TV, I think, did maybe two to three games a season. So you really had to go to the games uh, if you were a fan. And uh, so I wasn't really exposed to the Kings a lot in Los Angeles. I was actually more exposed to the New York Rangers because for some reason I got the Ranger cable station, WOR. Not sure what it stands for, but... uh, I became a Rangers fan growing up in West Los Angeles. And I was obsessed with a player on the Rangers by the name of uh, Barry Beck, who uh, at the time was a gigantic defenseman for the Rangers. He's about 6'3", 220 pounds, which by today's standards is pretty small. Uh, or it's, it's probably... Uh, I guess you'd say standard height. You know, now you have guys like Zdeno Chara, who's you know six foot nine, two seventy. You had players, uh, you know, Derek Bugard, you know, six eight, two sixty. Uh, you know, uh, Boris Volabic, who never really played in the NHL that much, but he was an Atlanta Thrashers draft pick. He was like six seven, six eight. Uh, he was a big, big dude. Uh, but back then in the late seventies and early eighties, Barry Beck just stood out cause he, he was good at everything. You know, he had a hard slap shot. He was probably, uh, arguably the best fighter in the league along with say Clark Gillies and they didn't have to fight that much. I don't think Beck or Gillies, uh, had more than a hundred penalty minutes really ever. So, uh, but I was just, you know, he had a huge afro and he was just a larger than life figure to me. And uh, so that's originally what got me into hockey. And then I started going to King Games a little bit more and more because my uh, dad's company had season tickets. And of course, everyone, they had season tickets to the forum. Uh, I forgot what they called it, but it was, it was something uh, specific where you got 
to go to the Lakers games, the King games. I believe there was an indoor soccer team at one point called the LA Lasers. So you could go to those games. And I was the only one who would ask for the King games. Everyone wanted to go to the Laker games. So uh, I could go pretty much to every game. Uh, and I and it was four seats. I usually went with either my dad, who probably didn't like hockey that much, but he someone had to take me. And then later on, when I went to uh, high school and could drive, I would literally have to beg people to go to the games. Now, keep in mind, this is before Wayne Gretzky. And then when Gretzky got here, I literally had uh, probably each ticket spoken for within you know five minutes. People would kill to go to see the Kings play the Hartford Whalers on a Tuesday night. So, uh, you know, my love affair with hockey was uh, gigantic for a very long time, uh, which kind of led me into collecting jerseys, and uh, which kind of started right around the time I started stand-up comedy. Uh, and I had tremendous stage fright when I was uh, first started doing stand-up, so much so that I had to go to therapy to get over it. Even though when I first started stand-up comedy, I uh, was being told by many high-level agents and managers, you should get into comedy. You're funnier than any of our clients. And they had like big, big clients. So I should have been incredibly confident. and Because uh, it, it's not like with a lot of people where their friends are saying you're funny. These were people who could actually get me on television. They were saying it. So um, I started uh, doing comedy, and, and to get over my fear, uh, I thought, well, I like hockey. I don't want to be too gimmicky wearing, like, wild Hawaiian shirts or whatever. So what if I wore hockey jerseys on stage? And not just any hockey jerseys. I thought, well, what if I wear hockey jerseys that were actually fought in? Um, you know, I love, I love the tough guys, you know, in the eighties, I, like I said, I grew up with Beck and Clark Gillies and Ed Hospodar and, uh, Jerry Korab and Jay Wells. And I mean, you know, Darren Kimball, Rudy Poshek, uh, you know, my first, uh, game I ever went to at Madison square garden, my sister took me to, uh, New York for a graduation present and she had some stockbroker friends who had season tickets to the garden. And I'll never forget, I saw the New York Rangers play the Washington Capitals. I didn't know really very many players on the Rangers at that time. And uh, Rudy Poshek fought Jim Thompson, who later would end up on the Kings, uh, twice. And both times he raised his hand in the air after both fights. And to be honest with you, I don't think he won either fight. Uh, but he got the crowd into it, so I became a big Rudy Poshek fan. And, uh, you know, I, I thought, well, what if I got, like, jerseys that Rudy Poshek wore, you know, Darren Kimball or Ed Kastelik, you know, I'd be protected on stage. So that's why I started wearing hockey jerseys on stage. And uh, But the funniest thing is the first jersey that I ever uh, bought uh, was an Andrew Raycroft uh, I think it was a preseason jersey. I think it was number 70 or 72. Because I thought, well, you know, my family's a business family. 
thought, well, I also want to make money on these things eventually. So I started looking at players who were rookies and go, okay, who looks like they're going to have an amazing career? And uh, I thought, well, this Andrew Raycroft is a pretty good goalie. If I buy his rookie jersey and he becomes the next Patrick Waugh, I could sell it for $5,000 later or whatever. And uh, so I got his uh, black, uh, I guess at the time, away jersey. But now I think about 2003, they switched to uh, the black being the home jersey. And uh, Andrew Raycroft never really panned out. He just, uh, I don't know. He just, uh, you know, never caught on. Um and uh, so that jersey was, uh, I think I took a $100 loss when I sold it again. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I'm just going to stick to buying tough guy jerseys. So uh, I think I went online and I found this uh, dealer that specifically uh, catered toward tough guys. And I started buying shirts from them. And uh, up until recently, it, it was uh, a lifelong or I thought it would be a lifelong hobby, but uh, things just uh, didn't work out that way, you know, uh, with the advent of uh, fighting declining almost uh, year-to-year basis, you know, my interest became a little less and less. Uh, but, uh, you know, I would say for 15 years, I was pretty gung-ho into the hobby, and, uh, you know, I, I was pretty wacky in my uh, purchases at times you know i would see a fight on tv or and then you know youtube you could see the fights uh especially from the quebec senior league you know where they would post the fights the next day and there'd be these wild bench clearing brawls and i'd be like oh my god i've got to get this guy's jersey this joel therio or roger maxwell uh i gotta get their jersey so uh you know i i parent Primarily bought from this one particular uh, dealer that uh, is no longer with us. We'll get into that later. Uh, and then I switched over to pretty much Migre, uh, who are the, uh, they're pretty much the sole survivors of the uh, Jersey uh, business. I mean, it, it's uh, it's a tough uh, like business to, to make money on, uh, but uh, Migre... Uh, really stood head and shoulders above the others. Uh, of course, there was a few other uh, people I bought from in the uh, last 20 years. You know, Milt Byron was a huge uh, dealer in uh, like a Yoda of uh, hockey jersey knowledge. And uh, Jay Miller uh, from Net Collectibles uh, was an awesome uh, jersey uh, dealer for a long time. Uh, you know, there were some... Dealers who would just get one team, like uh, I want to say the uh, Detroit Hockey Company, they primarily got the Phoenix Coyotes. So if you were a Coyotes fan, you would get one of their jerseys from them. Uh, and, uh, you know, Mike Gray obviously had the uh, New York Rangers for a long time, and then they branched out into pretty much the whole league. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, you could also contact the teams directly yourself, uh, which is a lot harder. Um, especially if you're, uh, you know, like I said, that, you know, the goon enthusiasts out there, uh, know that, uh, the Quebec semi-pro league, which is now the LNAH, uh, you know, they, the language barrier stuff. So I would call these teams up and, you know, they'd write me back in French and I would, I'd 
I'd like Google Translate and try and ask them, hey, can I get, uh, you know, uh, Thomas Bellamare's uh, jersey he fought in? And, and they'd, they'd write me back some horrifically uh, uh, worded email in very broken English. And, and then I tried to, uh, you know, I would call them on the phone. And, you know, I, I thought it'd be better if I spoke in a French accent. So I'd be like, yes, can I get the Roger Maxwell jersey? And that was even more confusing. Um, so, uh, you know, but, you know, looking back, it was kind of fun, you know, because I was really into the hobby at that time. And, you know, I, I've made a lot of lifelong friends in the hobby, which I cherish. Uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, ask me questions about why I like hockey so much and hockey fights and the jerseys. And uh, so I thought I'd do a podcast about it. And I've had a lot of people submit questions, uh, which is kind of fun. And uh, like the first question comes from uh, my buddy James. And uh, he had a few questions. And uh, his first one was, what is my biggest jersey purchase regret? Uh, probably the Andrew Raycroft one. Thank God it wasn't that much money. I think it was only $200, which in the jersey world is practically nothing. Um, but uh, I'm just kidding. It, it wasn't that big of a regret. Um, I don't really have a lot of uh, jersey regrets, to be honest with you, because um, every single jersey I bought, I wanted at the time. Uh, you know, from Andrew Raycroft to, you know, Link Gates jersey to, uh, you know, the Eric Bolton 911 jersey. Uh, you know, I was always, you know, I never bought what I couldn't afford, which I think gets some people into trouble. You know, they... Uh, you know, they get too emotional and, oh, my God, I have to spend this amount of money to get this jersey. I'm going to spend it, especially at live auctions. Uh, you know, that's when you can see jerseys go for, my God, three or four, five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000. You know, I, I never really – I was very unemotional in my jersey purchases. I'm like, I want this Roger Maxwell jersey. I will pay this much for it. I will not worry about it. And so to this day, I think that's what kept me in the – the hobby for so long is I, I don't have one shirt where I'm like, man, I wish I didn't buy this. Uh, so, uh, I hope that answers your question, James. Uh, another question from James is, uh, the most amount of money I ever spent on a Jersey. Now, luckily most of the people I collect their shirts, frankly, uh, were never that much to begin with. Um, you know, they weren't, they weren't that famous. I guess. Uh, so I never really broke the bank on, on a shirt. You know, like I never went after, say, a Bob Probert jersey, which, you know, Bob Probert shirts sell for, you know, probably a minimum $2,500, especially his Detroit jerseys. Um, but the most expensive jersey I own in my collection is, is probably uh, the Eric Bolton 911 Buffalo Sabres jersey. And for those of you who don't, uh, you know, know the story behind that game, the Rangers and the Sabres um, play the first sporting event after 9-11. I, I want to say the game was like September 18th or something. Um, and it was at Madison Square Garden. And the Rangers wore special jerseys for that uh, game that just said New York across it. And the cool thing is, so did Buffalo. You know, if you 
are listening to this and you're a hockey fan, you know what the Sabres logo is. It's a buffalo head, like a, a charging buffalo's head. Uh, and for this game, they wore New York across their uh, the front of the shirt, which was uh, very cool. And uh, they made uh, 20 shirts for the Rangers, or t- 23, I guess. There was a couple of players who uh, skated in warm-ups but didn't play in the game. So I think 23 shirts for each team. Uh, so 46 jerseys combined, and then they had an auction after the uh, game was over. And uh, the funds went to the firefighters and uh, police of New York. So I didn't feel that bad about bidding what I was bidding on because I thought, well, it goes to charity. And, you know, I think whether you're a Democrat or Republican or whatever you are, libertarian, uh, I think we all kind of bonded over 9-11 and uh you know we became one for uh you know a little bit anyway not to get too political uh i don't vote to be honest with you so uh you know i think we all rallied behind the cause i mean when you can get the rangers and the sabers to agree on a jersey design that shows you the stakes of what was going on in the country at that time so uh i bid i think sixteen hundred dollars on the steve mckenna rangers jersey because i wanted one from each team and uh, steve mckenna was this uh six foot seven gigantic hockey player he wasn't like the best player but he was a fighter he wasn't even really a good fighter to be completely honest with you uh but he i loved big jerseys um the more ridiculous the better and uh I think Steve McKenna was 6'7", 6'8", 260 pounds. So his jerseys were very big. And uh, so I won his jersey. He wore it in warm-ups but didn't play in the game. So that tells you the prices of these jerseys, that a non-game-worn jersey uh, sold for $1,600, $1,700. And then I bid on the Eric Bolton jersey. Eric Bolton, a tough guy, a very tough player. Uh, and he played in that game and he fought sandy mccarthy i believe in the first period at center ice fight was pretty good they had a good rivalry going for a couple years and uh, i think my final bid on the eric bolton 911 jersey was 2500 dollars. now that sounds crazy to pay that for an eric bolton jersey just to give you an example of what eric bolton's jerseys usually go for uh they go for about top top Eric Bolton jersey will go for $495. But once again, it's because of the cause you, uh, you know, you pay a little more. I would have paid, you know, probably as much as four grand for that jersey. Not because I necessarily wanted it that badly, but it, it was like a good way to give back and, uh, and get something too. And uh, so I won that jersey. Now here's the funny, funniest part. Uh, apparently those jerseys, you know, the game ends, they, they get the shirts from the players and they put all 46 shirts into a pile in the deepest caverns of Madison square garden. And the shirts went untouched. And when I say untouched, I mean, unwashed for probably, I think I got the both jerseys maybe two, maybe a month and a half after the game. So like, I think early November, I got the shirts and the stench was 
so bad. I got them. I'll never forget. I got the package around maybe three in the afternoon. And I had a big show that night. It was a big show for me, you know, two years into comedy. It was a Monday and I was like, I'm going to wear the Bolton shirt tonight. And I didn't wash it. And uh, like I said, the, the smell was ungodly. I mean, I, I'm not doing it justice. I mean, think about it. 46 unwashed jerseys sitting in a pile for almost two months. You can guess how bad that smelled. And uh, no one would sit near me the whole night. And I was like a popular comic on the scene. So, you know, usually people would, um, you know, sit next to me and we'd talk and, you know, just kibitz and BS. And no one the whole night would sit next to me. And then the next day I had to wash the jersey three times. I think I washed the blood out of it. There was blood on it. And, uh, you know, and I still have the jersey. I think I sold the McKenna a couple of years ago. And uh, I've been offered crazy amounts of money for the uh, Bolton. Uh, I've been offered $7,500 for it uh, by a collector from New York. You know, so obviously it means a lot to him. And uh, although I felt bad about like, ah, I don't want to make money basically off of 9-11, uh, I, I still have the jersey. I didn't sell it to him. Uh, but it just goes to show you the value of some things can, you know, if it's a specific jersey tied to a specific event. And so I can only imagine what, you know, the other jerseys, you know, of, of you know, more popular players, you know, would go for. And uh, so that's um, the most expensive jersey. Um, and then James has one more question. Uh, did you buy uh, player collections from the player themselves or other sources? Um, I have bought uh, shirts from players directly, and that's always tough because, uh, you know, I think they overvalue their shirts. You know, obviously it, they feel a very strong emotional attachment to the jerseys, uh, but I don't. It's like, hey, man, this is what your shirts go for. If I weren't buying them from you and, and they're kind of like, well, no, I want a thousand dollars for my junior shirt. And I'm like, dude, your junior shirts sell for like 200. Um, I bought a uh, bunch of shirts from Craig Martin's wife, Craig Martin, a tough guy, uh, very long term tough guy, mainly in the minor leagues, but he had a few cups of coffee in the NHL. And, uh, you know, I guess he went through a pretty nasty divorce. The wife got the jerseys. She contacted me and, uh, you know, I bought, I think, like seven or eight of his jerseys at the time because I was a big fan of his. And, uh, you know, it was just uh, it was a weird transaction just because you could tell she was uh, not happy with her soon-to-be ex. So I, I think she gave me a good deal. She just wanted them. I think she may have wanted to undersell the shirts so he'd get pissed. But, but you know, at the time I was like, sure, that's fine with me. I'll take them. Uh, and then uh, probably the funniest story of buying a player's collection. What it, Some players, uh, you know, they need money or whatever. They will uh, put up their jerseys uh, and sell them uh, to an auction house. And, uh, you know, the prices can get pretty wild because not only, you know, let's say I, I'll use myself as an example. Let's say I have a... a not a game worn, a stage worn leather pants from my first comedy special. Let's say I lose all my money and I, I want to sell these leather pants for as much as I can. 
I'll contact, say, a classic auctions or Leland's auctions. I don't think my grace into the leather pants, uh, you know, auction market. I actually, I don't know who is, but, uh, what they do is they'll say, well, Earl, we can sell these, uh, pants for a thousand dollars. We also have a 20% fee. That's their cut. So, you know, anyone who buys these pants, let's say someone comes in and say, I want Earl's pants. I'm going to give $2,000. They also have to pay 20% to the auction house. So the final price with everything added on is probably close to $2,400, $2,500. And uh, that happened to me once where uh, I'm a big Gord Donnelly fan. And uh, Gord Donnelly was a, a legendary uh, NHL tough guy. And uh, he, he wasn't like the biggest player, but he would fight anybody. Uh, he, I guess, toward the end of his, uh, or at the end of his career, he sold like, I don't know, 10 of his jerseys to a classic, uh, auction house, which is one of the big auction houses. And, uh, I thought, well, I'm not going to win them all. So I'm going to bid on every Gordonnelly jersey thinking I'll get two or three. Maybe I'll only get one. Hell, I may even get four jerseys. So I put my bids in, I go to sleep, the auction ends, I get about 40,000 notifications in the uh, mail the next day, email that is, and uh, I won every Gordonnelly jersey. And I had some pretty low ball prices, to be honest with you. He had like these shirts he played in, I think, Austria. I'm like, well, you know, I'll bid a couple bucks on those, but I really want his Quebec Nordiques jersey, so I'm going to bid big money on those. I won 10 Gordonnelly shirts. Now, that would be expensive if I bought them from him himself. But when you add in the 20% finder's fee that the auction house charges, plus the shipping from Canada, that was, uh, it was a very expensive day in the Skakel household. So, uh, you know, I hope that answers your questions, James. Uh, and uh, Wolfgang has a question here for me. If I could only keep one single jersey, what would it be? Uh, and that would probably be the uh, the Eric Bolton 911 jersey, just because of uh, you know the story that's behind it. Uh, hopefully, it's a once in a lifetime uh, you know event. We never go through something like that again. Uh, and like I said, that's a tough one because it's probably the most valuable shirt in my collection that I, you know, if I was just going strictly as a businessman, um, I would you know make a lot of money on that shirt. Um, so uh, that would be the one I would uh, try and keep. But I'm sure that's going to be the first. Like, you know, I've had a few people ask about buying the whole collection. And uh, that's the one shirt. I'm like, well, I'd like to keep one. And they're like, which one? The Eric Bolton. Like, even they knew which one I wanted to keep. By the way, we're going to end the Facebook Live video right now. If you want to listen to the rest of this uh, Jersey podcast, and believe me, I'm going to keep it real so i think you know who i'm going to talk about in a few minutes uh you gotta listen on uh apple podcast and soundcloud but uh thank you guys for uh listening on facebook this will be out tomorrow morning um so uh yeah that i you know there's a few others you may be a friends um that i would uh you know try and keep you know like i'm i'm good friends now it's funny uh with darren kimball who is, uh, we're online friends, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, that's one of the great things about social media is it's bad in a lot of ways. I hate social media, uh, you know, in terms of 
trying to get, uh, you know, uh, likes and favorites and watch my video and do this and do that. But uh, you can actually meet online players uh, you grew up admiring. Like I'm friends now with Barry Beck online, which is like surreal to me that I sent him a message. And I think he's in China now. And he sends me back a message. Uh, and it's it's awesome. Uh, so, uh, and then I have another question here. Uh, biggest, uh, Nick, uh, I feel like I'm a radio, a sports talk radio guy right now. Uh, but I wanted to do this, uh, you know, for the fans of mine who like comedy and jerseys. Because, you know, I get a lot of questions. Why don't you wear the jerseys anymore on stage? And that's a funny story, too, I'll tell. Uh, what is my biggest dark horse item that you have that would uh, you thought when you bought it had no value, but now you could sell for, um, you know, big money? Um, probably a few of my Link Gates jerseys. You know, uh, I bought a few Gates jerseys, I think uh, this is close to 20 years ago and uh, probably for, you know, $300 and, you know, Link Gates jerseys. Uh, routinely sell for well over a thousand dollars now just because and he's a strange case because he obviously played for like 30 teams literally 30 teams and uh very few of his jerseys are out there um you know i either have them and obviously i'm selling them now but uh, or he has them uh and the funny story is one time my phone rings and it's a canadian number and I don't recognize, uh, you know, I, I know a fair amount of people in Canada, but uh, I don't recognize the number. And it's a real gravelly voice. Think of Clint Eastwood and Escape from Alcatraz, I guess. And uh, like, is this the guy who collects my jerseys? And I'm like, uh, okay, uh, who is this? This is Link. I'm like, this is Link Gates. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm on the phone with Link Gates. And he was awesome. He's like, yeah, man, I got a, I got about 20 jerseys of mine. Uh, they're in a box in the garage. What's your address? I'm like, well, shouldn't we discuss price first? And he's like, fuck, I'll just give them to you. And I'm like, what? Uh, so I give him my address. Of course, the jerseys never showed up. But, you know, I had a hard time picturing Link Gates at a post office, making sure the shipping's right. Uh, but then he just randomly puts me on the phone with his mom and his mom was, you know, older, obviously I would guess in her seventies and, uh, I'm talking to Link Gates, mom, and you could tell she loves her son so much and I can't imitate an older woman, but she's like, Earl, my son's just misunderstood. You know, he, he has a bad reputation. He's just the sweetest guy. And literally the next day, Link Gates gets kicked off the team he was on for getting into a bar brawl with the owner. And uh, that was the last I ever heard of him. Uh, and, of course, like I said, the, the packages uh, never got here. But I was looking forward to that because, I mean, he played on some wacky teams. Like, he played in uh, a team that played in Palm Beach, Florida. And, uh, you know, New Mexico, not the Scorpions, but, like, a, a very obscure team. And uh, so his jersey, so... Uh, I guess you'd say when I bought them, I wasn't intending to sell them for three or four or five times what I bought them for, but they definitely, uh, he's probably the number two 
jersey that uh, tough guy collectors seek out. You know, there's, you know, Bob Probert. And then, you know, uh, Gates, just because he's got such a wild storyline, you know, I think when he was drafted by the Minnesota North Stars, it was the same year they drafted Madonna, and they, they drafted Madonna in the first round. Their GM was Lou Nanny. And he said, I drafted Mike Madonna in the first round. I drafted Link Gates in the second round to protect Mike Madonna. And I'm drafting a lawyer in the third round to protect Link Gates. So he uh, showed up to the draft, if you remember. And, you know, you probably have to be over 40 to remember this. But with two black eyes, I think he got into a bar brawl like the night before the draft. Uh, so uh, he's still alive and kicking. And... Uh, you know, so I uh, hope that answers your question, Nick. And then we've got one from uh, John Carmano. Uh, most expensive jersey was, you know, the Bolton. Hardest to get, uh, probably, you know, the uh, shirts from the uh, Quebec Senior League, which is now known as the League uh, North American Hockey. It's not quite as wild as it used to be. I mean, you know, they're, uh, you know, when it was the, Quebec Senior Pro Hockey League, there was, I think, the Laval Chiefs at one point were owned by the Hells Angels, and, you know, they literally had players sleeping below the rank. Uh, they would pay bounties on players' heads, and uh, they, they were definitely the hardest jerseys to get because, uh, you know, the language barrier, and, and plus you're dealing with, you know, uh, not the most honest people. So, you know, half the time I would buy directly from them I didn't know if the shirts would ever get to me. Uh, but I found one friend of mine who later became the GM of several teams, and he was someone that I could trust. And uh, he uh, got me a lot of hard-to-get jerseys. And uh, you know, and then he ripped me off. So uh, thank you, Ronnie Gascon, for charging me $300 for a Curtis Swanson jersey and then never delivering the jersey. See, I name names. I have no fear. Um, and then Mike Therio, I don't know if you're related to Joel, uh, but he asked me, why do I collect from that league? Um, you know, just cause, uh, the NHL at the time was, uh, more or less eliminating, uh, fighting and, and the tough guy role from the league. You know, uh, you know, when I started really watching the NHL, you know, I, when I was a kid, I would watch the Rangers or the Kings, but then I started following, uh, you know, the as national cable packages grew, you got other teams' games. You know, like the Sports Channel uh, was the Islanders' channel, and then uh, Nesson. Uh, for some reason, I got there uh, the Boston Bruin games, so I would see their rivalry games with like Hartford and you know other uh, you know teams that they had beefs with. So I got to become fans of those fighters. You know, like uh, you know Kimball and uh, you know Ed Hospodar and and. Uh, you know, Ed Kastelik on the Whalers and Capitals, uh, Jim Thompson, uh, Lou Franceschetti. Uh, but, you know, in the late 90s and into the early 2000s, you know, guys like Wayne Van Dorp just, you know, they didn't have a place in the NHL. So, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, I had to look elsewhere, you know. And then it was kind of a progression of, you know, the tough guys from the NHL started to go to the AHL and ECHL. And, and so I, I collected, you know, those leagues. And then, you know, I think it was a, a tip, like a, a domino effect of, you know, the NHL is getting rid of fighting. So the teams didn't really need to have a fighter in the AHL because they were never going to play in the NHL. So it's kind of a wasted roster spot. And, and then, you know, if teams in the AHL didn't need fighting and teams in the ECHL didn't want a fighter. And, and so uh, the Quebec 
an LNAH league was was really the last place left where you could uh, collect tough guy jerseys, and it, it's a better value to be honest with you. I mean the uh, the jerseys in the Quebec league are, are you know game weight jerseys with you know some of them literally have a hundred plus fights in a jersey because the teams are cheap. So they don't have like two or three, four sets, you know, like say the New York Rangers uh, did probably this year. I, I can assume the Rangers wore at least three or four sets. Um, you know, the the Quebec League, you know, say if you're the Verdun Dragons and you have Link Gates on the team and he wears his number 23 and he gets traded or kicked off the team. So you you sign another tough guy. Well, that tough guy gets Link Gates' old jersey. So you could have literally shirts that have been fought in a hundred plus times a season. So uh, that's really the reason why I kind of gravitated toward that league the last five or six years of my active buying years. Uh, but I haven't bought a jersey in probably um, five or six years. So I, I just kind of lost my passion for the hobby, um, which kind of leads into Russ Cash's uh, question. Uh, the biggest difference between now and uh, then, basically, you know, back then there was a forum, and I think it still might be around. That shows you how out of the loop I am, called GameWarn.net, and you could buy, you could trade, you could sell, you could. Uh, there was general discussion forums, um, and uh, you know, now it's pretty much Facebook groups. Uh, and I would say back then it was more hobby hobbyist. You know, you didn't necessarily buy a shirt to flip it. Uh, you know, you bought a shirt because you wanted the shirt. Like I wanted a Link Gates jersey or a, a Darren Kimball jersey. And at the time of purchase, I thought I'm never going to get rid of this. Um, whereas now I, I see uh, a lot of people buy jerseys and flip them. Uh, and I, I don't think that's the smartest business decision because it's there's so few jerseys in this era that make a profit um, that uh, I just... I, I never understood, like when I, you know, I, I've seen so many shirts of mine for sale two weeks after I sold them. And it's like, you're not going to get much money higher than what you bought it for me for. So it's just, I don't know, kind of like trading an apple for an apple. I, I don't understand the point, but uh, that's probably the biggest difference to me. Um, and uh, so I hope that answers your question in Rush. Rush, Russ. Uh, and, you know, I, I think there's a lot, uh, because of technology, you, you know, back then you had a certain amount of dealers and you relied on them for the pictures and the information. Whereas now it's, um, there's just so much uh, better resources online. Um, so I, I think, you know, the dealers who were um, unscrupulous, uh, are outed a lot easier now, you know. You know, I have uh, several shirts from uh, one particular dealer who, uh, you know, because of the Im information that's out there now, uh, I go, oh, this shirt wasn't sold to me. Or this shirt wasn't what it was sold to me. It was, you know, the, it was a preseason shirt instead of a regular season shirt. Um, so, uh, you know, and that's unfortunate. Um you know, it, it's, you know, there's bad people uh, in all, you know, there's bad people in stand-up. There's bad people in voiceovers. There's certainly bad people in the jersey collecting world or memorabilia world. Uh, but it's just the way it is. 
Um, and then Nick, Nick B and, uh, his question, question everyone, how the F did you get all those jerseys? Uh, well, I bought them and toward the end, the funny thing is I started having teams contact me saying, Hey, you're that comic in LA who wears jerseys on stage. Um, will you wear our jerseys if we send them to you? I'm like, yeah, but I want, I want a particular Jersey. Like, you know, I would have, uh, like a minor league team, say like the, I don't know, uh, the, the Reading Royals contact me and say, Hey, you wear the Kings affiliate, you know, will you wear a Jersey? We'll make one up for you. I'm like, Oh, I don't want a Jersey that's made up. I want one that's worn. And they're like, well, we'll send you our best players Jersey. We have an extra one. He wore, I'm like, no, I don't want your best players Jersey. I want, I want Jimmy Verdul's Jersey that he fought Doug Dowell in. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll make up a jersey with with Jimmy's name on it. No, I don't want a jersey that's made up. I want one that he actually fought in. So they would start sending me shirts for free. Uh, and then, so, you know, that's when my collection got really out of hand. It, you know, it was big enough when I was paying for the jerseys. But, you know, if you know anything about stand-up comics, we like free shit. So uh, then I started getting these teams. Hey, if you ever play in Florida, if we send you a Florida Everblades jersey with, say, Stu Pietersma's name on it, and then I'd have to tell them, no, I want to actually want a Stu's jersey that he fought in so I could feel the the aura of a fight. And, uh, you know, it was pretty funny. And then sometimes I would, uh, like I used to do stand-up comedy at the Friars Club in Beverly Hills. And uh, it, it was a wild. It was not the Friars Club that you remember you know, with Milton Berle and, and, you know, Foster Brooks and Don Rickles and Dean Martin and, you know, Slappy White and Nipsey Russell. It was uh, kind of a newer era Friars Club where uh, there was a new owner, at least of the Beverly Hills Friars Club, and he brought in all these basically prostitutes to work there. And so you, it was the weirdest crowd for comedy shows, like the most beautiful women on the planet, and then all these old creepy dudes like Harvey Weinstein types trying to... Uh, let's just say, uh, has some transactions with them. And, uh, but the Kings and Ducks, when they didn't have a game on a Thursday night, they would show up. So my friend would always get the guest list and he'd be like, Hey Earl, George Peros and Kit Brennan are coming tonight, you know? And so I would wear one of their jerseys. Like I remember, uh, I had on Kit Brennan's rookie Jersey. I think Kit Brennan's first game in the NHL, he fought at Madison Square Garden in a black jersey and had a big rip in the collar. And so I'm doing my comedy act. I see Kip Brennan looking at the jersey, and he, I don't think he puts it together that it's actually his jersey. Like, he saw the name on the back, and he thought I probably just made it up like it was an authentic. And so he comes up to me afterwards and goes, nice shirt, kid. I'm like, well, you don't understand, bro. This is your shirt. And I point to the collar, and he's like, oh, shit, that's when Eric Cairns, I think it was Eric Cairns, grabbed me, and that's a big mother. And uh, so when I would do the Friars Club and, uh, you know, I knew someone was coming, I would, if I had their jersey, I would wear it. And I remember one time, uh, Zenon Kanapka, who I think he was on the Ducks at the time, he shows up with Chris Kunitz, and I didn't have a Kanapka jersey, but I had a Link Gates jersey on, and his face lit up like, you know who Link Gates is? And, oh, my God, I, he was a maniac. I used to play ball hockey with him, and he almost killed me. And it was just, like, so funny to see this NHL player who I look up to, not that he was looking up to me, but he was like, oh, my God, you know who Link Gates is. So uh, it was always funny when uh, 
you know, an NHL player would be in the room. I think the funniest, and of course, this is probably a surprise to no one, is I had on a uh, a Derek Bugard. It's the only Bugard jersey I've ever had. Uh, medicine hat jersey. And uh, it was a black number 30, and it had these wild sleeve inserts. I mean, I'm a pretty big guy. I'm probably 6'2", I don't know, 205. And the jersey on me looked like a dress. And so one night I'm on stage at the comedy store, and there's only like 10 people in there. And there's this guy in there, and I just he's with this beautiful girl. And uh, I'm like looking at him going, I know this guy from somewhere. Just It'll give me a second. And he yells out something like, nice jersey, the boogeyman. And it just clicked, oh, my God, that's Paul Bizonette, who's like this, you know, tough guy. And he's more known, actually, for his social media presence in his hockey. Um, and uh, he was great. And uh, he was kind of heckling me. And I was doing pretty well, even though it was only 10 people. And then he just looks at me and goes, hey, bro, I got to port this girl. You're really funny, but let's wrap it up. And the girl kind of looked embarrassed. And then, uh, you know, he was very nice and took a picture with me afterward. And, uh, so it's always cool. I've never met, uh, a Dickie player, you know, Jamie McLennan, the goalie. He was, uh, he'd always come up to the comedy store cause I think he was dating one of the, uh, female comics and he would always have kiss on his, uh, goaltender mask. So we had a nice conversation about that. And I remember he brought, uh, one night Jason Strudwick up and I'm like, Hey dude, I have your Vancouver alternate Jersey. And he kind of looked at me like, Oh, that's weird. Uh, but he was nice. So, uh, those are probably the funniest stories uh, that I have uh, come across. Uh, you know, it's it's Hollywood, so um, you know I know this year a lot of the um, Ottawa Senators came uh, to the Comedy Store after a game. There's a need to uh, meet them, and then uh, probably the the highlight this year for me. I didn't have a jersey on, like I said, I I haven't worn a hockey jersey on stage probably since 2007. And that's kind of a funny story. I was um, auditioning for a show. And it, it's actually, I love the idea of the show. It's called One Night Stand Up. And it's a dating show where the girl never sees you. She hears your jokes. And she picks you based on your jokes. So uh, I'm about to go on. Whitney Cummings is the host. I'm side stage. I've got a New York Rangers Matthew Barnaby uh, preseason blue jersey on. And uh, I hear Whitney Cummings, and your next comic, he's really funny. He's related to the Kennedys, blah, blah, blah. And I, I got one foot on stage, Barry Katz, who uh, is the creator of Last Comic Standing, and he's also been a guest on this podcast, grabs me by the jersey and goes, what the fuck are you doing? Now, I'm nervous enough. This is really my first time on television as a comic. I'm like, what do you mean? I, I always wear a hockey jersey on stage. You know, it protects me from the evil spirits. He's like, I don't give a fuck about the evil spirits. You can't walk out there like that. I'm like, why not? He's like, the logos, you dummy. And, you know, I, I'm nervous enough. Now he's like, you know, this guy's a huge talent manager, especially back then, because he was managing Dane Cook, who was like the biggest comic in the world. And then uh, I take off the shirt, and I had this really horrific affliction shirt on. Like, think of a shirt Brett Michaels was wearing on Rock of Love. And I went out there and I, you know, I thought, well, you know, it's a dating show. I want to show the girl I'm edgy. So I do a, a joke that's probably my best written joke ever. And this is right around the Duke lacrosse trial. So I thought, hey, everyone, uh, boy, that Duke lacrosse team, they're out of control. That you know, you know, the captain of the Duke lacrosse team had a degree in economics. So if anyone knew. 46 didn't go into two. It was that guy and complete bomb. Uh, I mean, I, 
it, it, oh my god it was it, it it was not a well-received joke so uh needless to say i didn't get on the tv show but the joke's on them because the tv show never aired that's the crazy thing you don't realize about this business is that there are so many shows that are taped produced edited and then they just never air i realize this is a story about hockey jerseys but uh, or a podcast about hockey jerseys but a little insight into the uh the entertainment field so uh the next question comes from william lowry what has made you want to get out of collecting um well uh a couple bad experiences to be honest with you uh really with one uh dealer in particular uh, I don't even want to mention their name because I see uh, one of them is still lurking around the hobby. And in his uh, sick and twisted mind, he'll probably think this is like a commercial for business for him. Um, but uh, they just sold me like three or four shirts that I later found out weren't what they were. You know, like, for example, uh, one jersey was a preseason Craig Martin jersey that they sold to me as a regular season jersey. Now, you might say, well, what's the big difference? Craig Martin wore it, right? Uh, that's true. But I think a preseason shirt of Craig Martin at that time, now we're talking 15 years ago, 375 bucks. But a regular season shirt is like 750 So, you know, that's a, that's a big price difference. And, uh, you know, there was another uh, shirt that they sold me. It was a, a Mississippi um, Seawolves Mardi Gras shirt of Tommy Bolduke. And, uh, you know, I like the shirt. It's a really cool-looking jersey, so I ended up keeping it anyway. Recently sold it, but I kept it for years because it was a very cool design. But it had, uh, you know, wear, light wear on it. And, uh, you know, which matches what a, you know, specialty game jerseys are usually worn one or two games. And, uh, you know... A couple of years after I've had the jersey, I had, ironically, the same week, a Mississippi Seawolves employee and a season ticket holder contact me and go, hey, just so you know, Tommy Bolduc never wore that jersey. I'm like, what do you mean? There's wear on it. And, uh, you know, I forget the exact story, but uh, they were like, well, he was released three or four days or the week before that game was even played. I'm like, oh, so he never wore the jersey. Well, that sucks because that's, that's a couple hundred bucks more than I would have paid for it. So, uh, you know... That's two mistakes from this dealer. And then, uh, you know, there was another jersey, uh, Eric Cairns, uh, Binghamton uh, Ranger jersey, specialty shirt they wore for two games. And uh, Eric Cairns uh, that year played 10 games for Binghamton, and then he was called up uh, by the Rangers permanently. And uh, there's wear on the jersey. And, you know, once again, it's light wear, but it matches what a two-game shirt would have. Um, and uh, my friends, uh, I'll, I'll give them a little anonymity here just because I don't know if they want to be mentioned with their names. Uh, the A-Man and uh, Dr. G, uh, they were like, hey, Earl, just so you know, you know, those two games that they wore that shirt in were after Eric Cairns was called up permanently. So, you know, now we have a third shirt that, you know, was sold to me as a game-worn shirt that, uh, you know, at the very least was not worn by mr karen's uh and you know that's a couple hundred dollars in price difference uh and then there was an incident uh where they had two link gates jerseys and you know like i said earlier in the podcast uh, you know link gates jerseys go for big money um 
and they had uh, two link gates for Dun Dragon jerseys uh, for sale, and I, I think they were. I think their price was like a thousand bucks or something, and uh, it was number eighty nine. And uh, my friend was the GM of that team, the Verdun Dragons, and uh, he called me up before they signed Link. And he's like, "Hey, we're going to sign Link Gates. You want the jersey?" So I'm like, "Yeah, but you know, Ronnie, I, and this is at the time where Link's reputation was really uh, out there as a wild man." I'm like, you know, I got to see proof he wore the jerseys because I have a feeling he's not going to play too long for you guys. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you know, he gets kicked off of teams pretty early on. So, you know, I'm going to need to see video proof before I buy the jersey. He's like, yeah, no problem. So, of course, Link Gates plays one game for the Verdun Dragons in a dark number 23, his usual number. And uh, (laughs) the next day he gets kicked off the team for causing a massive brawl where, like, some of their best players got suspended rescuing him in the game. Of course, I get a call from Ronnie. Hey, uh, you were right, Earl. Uh, do you want the one jersey? I'm like, yeah, but Ronnie, I need to see videotape. So he sends me a YouTube clip of Lank and, you know, in a dark 23. So I buy the jersey. And uh, and then I see two jerseys on this dealer's website. And I email them, say, hey, just so you know, he never wore those jerseys. Um you know, he wore number 23. I've got the jersey. I've got video proof. And I was taken aback uh, by their response of, uh, now keep in mind, this is like 15 years ago. So I don't know if this is word for word, but it was something to the effect of, you're just jealous we beat you to the punch on these jerseys. And I'm like, I'm not jealous of anyone's collection. Like, I'm just trying to give you guys a heads up. And, uh, you know, they didn't seem to care too much. So I'm like, okay. I'm never buying from these guys again. And and keep in mind, you know, probably at that point, 65%, 70% of my collection was from these guys. Um, now, here comes the problem. Later on down the road, I think it was about a year later, uh, you know, I get an email from some dude. Hey, you're the guy who collects Link Gates jerseys. Uh, I've got a jersey for you that he played in uh, – we're done with. And I'm like, oh man, this is the guy who bought one of the jerseys. And, you know, I of course had to be the guy to tell him, hey, you know, he never wore those jerseys. And the guy's, he's not arguing with me, but he's, let's say, debating. He's like, well, there's wear on them. And I'm like, yeah, well, that wear came from Trevor Job, who, you know, wore number 89. Gates never wore number 89 for Verdun. And, uh, you know, so I had to be the bad guy more or less and tell this guy that he spent a thousand dollars on a Trevor Job jersey. <laughs> Trevor Job jerseys probably go for about 150 bucks. Uh, so that was one, of, that was probably the big one that got my initial descent out of the hobby. Um, it's like, Jesus, you can't trust a dealer. Like, who can you trust? And, uh, you know, I've had many conversations, you know, and, and Milt, uh, it's like, Earl, you got to do your homework, you know, and, and I agree. You know, everyone should do your homework on on any collectibles you buy. Uh, but to me, it was just like, you know, like if I go into a Dodge dealership tomorrow to buy a Dodge Hellcat, you know, which, you know, those cars go for, I think, $80,000. Uh, I'm going to trust that Dodge did the homework to make sure it's a Dodge Hellcat and there's not a Ford engine in it. Now, should I do the homework too? Absolutely. But when you're charging $80,000 for a car or $750 for an Eric Cairns jersey, to me, the onus is on you. You're the one who makes a living doing this. I'm just the collector. So, uh, and then, you know, 
wasn't just that, but it was, you know, lack of manners from a lot of people in the hobby, to be honest with you. And I don't want to be like a downer. And, you know, there's a lot of great people in the hobby, you know, probably 90% in, in the hobby are great. You know, I, like I said, I have lifelong friends in the hobby and, and that I'm grateful for the most, more than any hockey jersey I have. Um, but, you know, it's just like people ask you to take pictures, you take them, you give them a detailed wear description, and then you never hear from them again. And it's like, okay, you don't want the jersey, that's fine. I, you know, in my case, I don't make my living selling jerseys. Um, so I don't, I don't want this to come out the wrong way. And knowing how I just worded it, it's going to come out the wrong way. But uh, I don't care if you buy a jersey from me or not. But at least say thank you. Um, so it's, that's really the reason I got out of the hobby. and uh, Or I'm getting out of the hobby, you know. Um, so, uh, but I love it. And I'm very glad I was in it for so long. Um, so the next question comes from uh, Brian. Best worst player experience interaction regarding their own jersey? Um, I haven't had too many bad ones. I mean, really the worst interactions I've had with players in regards to their jerseys is them wanting them and not knowing how much they cost. Like, and I don't mind naming the player cause, uh, he's a great guy, but, uh, I have Brant Myers last worn Jersey. It's a red Calgary flames home Jersey that he was knocked out in by George LaRocque. And, uh, you know, obviously Brant wants it because it's, uh, you know, his last bit of NHL history. And, uh, you know, he, I was put in touch with him through a, a fellow comedy friend and, uh, you know, I, I felt awful. Like he, he would, he checks in with me every few months, maybe twice a year says, Hey, can I get my Jersey? I'm like, dude, it was $695 plus shipping. You know, it's, it's probably going to be a $720 purchase for you. And that's, me not making one dollar on it i just want what i paid for it like i don't think the players realize how, how much the memorabilia costs and you know like the first time he was very nice like well how about i give you a couple sticks and a pair of worn gloves or whatever and i'm like ah that's not gonna work for me and then you know well how about uh you know i i get you an autographed picture of i don't know george larock i'm like ah, i don't know about that either you know it's embarrassing to me but uh you know it's like I think anyone listening to this podcast knows how much this stuff costs. And, you know, I, I just want, like in this particular case, just what I paid and I'll, I'll, I'll hand deliver you the Jersey. Cause I think he lives in LA now, but uh, he's been very nice though. And and then there's other, you know, Brad Lambert, who was a, a long time tough guy in the Quebec league. You know, he, he's always asking me about his jerseys and I'm like, it's kind of the same thing. I'm like, dude, I, have a couple of your jerseys, but they were 300 bucks a piece and to ship to Canada is like pretty expensive, like $350 US. And, uh, of course, certain players have ripped me off, you know, Jason Clark ripped me off. Uh, you know, I shipped him a few jerseys. He never shipped me the money. So I'm always paranoid. You know, I don't know Brad Lambert. I mean, he seems like a nice guy, but so did Jason Clark. So that was, uh, another reason why I got out of the hobby, just like, you know, one of dealers ripping me off, uh, at least through my eyes. And then now players are kind of circling and it's like, oh, this, you know, I got into the hobby to have a, uh, relief valve from the stressful world of stand up and voiceovers and all that stuff. And now, uh, the Jersey collecting was causing me more grief than uh, the stand up, which is saying something. So, uh. 
you know, um, but you know, Brad Lambert seems like a nice guy. Brant Myers seems like a nice guy. Um, and Brian also asked anything about Bugard. I just had one Jersey of his, it was his medicine hat Jersey, uh, sold it a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, it was it was a gigantic, probably the second biggest jersey I've ever had. Uh, the first, uh, by far and away, um, was uh, the Zdeno Chara New York Islanders rookie, which was, you know, if there's one jersey, I don't regret selling it, but if there was one jersey I, I would try and get back, it would probably be this one because it was literally... I don't think the Islanders realized how big this guy was when they drafted him. So the shirt was made from like three jerseys. Like it had, they cut it at about where the uh, the the bottom of the of a regular jersey would be, and they added from another jersey probably three to four inches, uh, so it could fit him. And the same thing with the sleeves. I mean, the sleeves. Like I said, I'm six two, two oh five, pretty long arms. I would say the sleeves went five inches past my fingertips. Um, so uh, that, that's probably the most interesting jersey. I, I do have a Link Gates jersey. You know, Link was, I think he's about 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, but one jersey of his from the Saguenay Paramedic, which is a team, uh, old team from the, the Q, I'll say. Um, I actually, I had both the home and the away for some reason, you know, and this probably was because of budget constraints, uh, they put in panels on his sleeves. So the when you went to grab his arm, it would just be like grabbing something that's three times too big. So his punches would still get to you. Like you could have, like it was the opposite of a Dave Brown jersey where Dave Brown had that one sleeve that was super tight. And you couldn't grab anything. Like it was like trying to grab his skin. It was skin tied on him. Link did the opposite approach where it was incredibly baggy. Like his arms on these two shirts look like MC Hammer pants. So when you would grab it, he could still punch through the jersey grab. Um, and that's probably the most unique customized jersey I've seen. So, uh, and you know, that's probably the, uh, the end of my collecting uh, life. Uh, started, I think, in late 99 with the Ray Croft jersey and uh, have been uh, slowly uh, getting out of the hobby the last couple of years. Um, you know, I, I've had a few uh, auction houses kick the tires, as they say in the business, about buying the whole collection. But uh, I think they are approaching it like I'm uh, needing to sell, and it's really I just want to sell. Uh, just because I want to turn the jersey room, which is a vault. I always call it the vault. Um, I want to turn it into a podcast room. Um, I might, if I'm uh, lucky enough, I might keep the Eric Bolton jersey and frame it. Um, although there is a other jersey. Uh, I bought an elliptical for the house since all the gyms I belong to are... Uh, closed at the moment and uh you know i hate working out but i do it and how i get through my time on the elliptical is i watch hockey fights and uh, 80s metal videos and uh, i forgot about that one series in 95 96 so i guess it'd be 96 the playoff series between tampa bay and philly 
And uh, I forgot I have two jerseys from that series. Uh, I have a black Rudy Poshek that's pretty beat up. But he didn't play as much as the other jersey I have. And it's a white Michelle Petit that uh, I might try and keep this jersey as well. It's so beat up because this was the series where he and uh, Igor Ulanov were tag-teaming Eric Lindros for six games. And uh, this jersey is shows it. Uh, and Michelle Petit is not the most popular player, so even if I sell it, it wouldn't be for that much. Uh, I mean, I'll assume his jerseys, and I'm out of the loop in terms of prices, but I'll probably go for $400 maybe. Um, but it's, uh, if you have a chance, uh, YouTube, uh, Philly, Tampa Bay, rough stuff. And a slew of videos will show up from this series. And uh, it, it it was wild. It was like UFC. Uh, and it's funny, the games three and four were in Tampa in the, I think it was like a football stadium. Uh, it was like an indoor football or basketball stadium. It was like 60,000 people. It was wild atmosphere. So, uh, you know, those are probably the only two jerseys I'll try and keep. But, uh, you know, the Bolton, uh, it'll be tough to pass up, you know, basically three or four times what I paid for it, that price. Um, but we'll see. But uh, I love uh, all the most of the people in the Jersey uh, community. Um, you know, Barry Mizell at Migre, they always treated me good. Mill, there's so many people to thank, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, the hobbies passed me by, but I had a good run. And, uh, you know, I'm very thankful for the uh, lifelong friends I've made in it. So I hope this uh, podcast was cool. To you non hockey fans, I apologize. But, uh, you know, 300 episodes in, I, I figure you guys are sick of talking about stand-up and roast battle and cartoons and whatnot. So, uh, you know, this is more geared toward a very niche uh, part of my fan base. And, uh, you know, please like, review, and subscribe to Inappropriate Earl on Apple Podcast. And for you non-Apple users, you can still listen on SoundCloud for you Android people. And, uh, you know, when this is all over, if I'm ever uh, in your town, I was slated to be in Edmonton this week, but uh, can't go across the border right now. But uh, come on down. We'll talk hockey after the show. I'll do a few hockey jokes for you, uh, which leads me to the last story I was telling. Uh, my last show at the Comedy Store it was my last stand-up show, The Ontario Rain. Uh, were in the crowd, and uh, it was uh, Matt Luff, who probably will be on the LA Kings this year or next year, I guess. Uh, the great legendary enforcer Boko Imama. So I was really excited to meet him. Uh, Mikey Isamont, Sean Dursey in the crowd, Paul Ledoux, they were all awesome. I set them up with a table of, uh, I think, sorority co eds, uh, and they went to Saddle Ranch, which is next door to the comedy store. I haven't seen them since. I hope they're all okay. Not the girls, the players. And uh, so that was uh, fun to uh, meet Boko Imama. I'm like, hey, man, you were a tough guy in Ramuski. And he looked at me like, how do you know where that is? So uh, that is all, guys. This has been uh, one of my favorite episodes of Inappropriate Earl. Sometimes I like to do those solo shows. But I have to pick topics I can talk about for an hour. And hockey jerseys is definitely that topic. So I hope you enjoyed it. 
And uh, I'll see you at a comedy club sooner than later. Inappropriate Earl in the house. Yeah.